Hello and welcome to Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. This is the second episode of season four, which focuses on the people, products, and organizations involved in the dog world and in the journey of a rescued dog. Today's episode features Karen Grange, founder of Small Dog Rescue BC, BC being British Columbia, Canada. Surprisingly, Karen was never a big small dog person before starting her organization nine years ago. She doesn't consider all the dogs to be rescued, and one of her biggest challenges is people's perception of small dogs. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful dogologist for over two decades. With me again today is my co-host, David L. Halsell. Hi, David. Hello, Billy. Happy to be here. Great. Good to have you again. So today we have um, Karen from Small Dog Rescue BC, and uh, she's going to tell us about how she runs a rescue and everything that goes on there over in BC. Actually, you're from BC, aren't you? I am from White Rock, BC. Woohoo! I spent some years on the island as well and in Vancouver. Yes, I miss BC. Yes, well, here you go. You get to be a little <laughs> bit closer. So let's get, uh, get talking to Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi, Billy. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? How's it going in BC? You know what? It's, we're doing well, although we're supposed to get a little rain later today and that's not like us. I think uh, David's from White Rock there. He's used to all that sunny weather way back when. Yes, <laughs> way back when. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how is that uh, Small Dog Rescue BC going for you? How long have you been doing that? Well, I started in about uh, 2010. Um, Original. I was always uh, used to big dogs. In fact, I really hadn't been around a lot of little dogs. Grew up with my parents, German Shepherds. And then got my own retriever collie cross from the SPCA when I turned 19 and moved out. I uh, went on to have some bully breeds and some German Shepherd mixes. And around two, 2010, I started camping. And a bunch of people were bringing up all these little dogs. And they were not very well behaved. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, what's this with these little dogs that sit in your lap and try and nip at you when you walk by? So funnily enough, I got home after the camping trip and saw an ad for fostering for an organization for people that were bringing up dogs from uh, high kill shelters in California. Mm. And I thought, well, I should try that. So uh, I inquired and applied and got accepted and took on my first dog, which was a probably seven pound little Minpin Chihuahua. (laughs) There's a little challenge for you. Well, actually, it's really funny because I had this sort of perception of the Chihuahua he was like the sweetest, quietest little mm. that I didn't know was that he had just arrived. He was completely shut down. And it wasn't until I had him for about three weeks and decided he was the best ever. So I was going to adopt him that my girlfriend came over one day and he started to bark and he never stopped. <laughs> That's funny. So you just never know. They're different in different environments. And actually, yeah, my, uh, my rescued Rottweiler cross found her own uh, rescued Chihuahua, I guess got her own Chihuahua cross, and that was not uh, not the common of the breed either, so you just never know. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I guess he lived up to his expectations, but uh, it did, you know, help me learn about dogs that maybe they're not going to be exactly the same when they first come into the home as to when they get comfortable or, you know, have some time to. And what was his name? His name was Malibu and <laughs> Pachich. It's <laughs> awesome. He's so uh, he lived up to that. Now, yes, they are definitely, I talk about that in my book where dogs have different factors and different perceptions of different people and situations. So just like people, they, they uh, act differently in different, different environments. And as they get comfortable, just like people, as they get comfortable too, right? Yes. And he was one of those dogs where he really didn't like other dogs. He would challenge any big dog. He, he, he took a few tufts out of a couple of tails while we were camping. Anyway, I became that person with that <clears throat> crazy little dog sitting in the car. How many dogs a year do you do you take? Well, uh, originally it started out. Um, I think it's been pretty consistent, about fifty dogs per year. Hmm. Uh, oh. I've done maybe seventy in the last two years, so about one dog a week is what it works out to. Hmm. And, um, you know, originally, like I say, back in 2010, the reason why I got into it was, like I say, I, I fostered for another organization, but I, I quickly learned that I could not let the dogs go without knowing where they went. And with this organization, they would just come and pick them up and off they'd go to their new home. So hmm. with Facebook, I thought, hey, I see these dogs, I can rescue a dog. So I got on the internet, found a dog down in California that needed a home. Um, actually hooked up with a girl in, in uh, Saskatoon. Hmm. And we found a way to get our two little dogs up to us. And then we chatted and thought, hey, we should go to California. We should go see what the, the scene is like. And uh, she showed up in my driveway in August of that year. And my husband took her license plate and off we went. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I've actually had some... Uh some dogs from that uh, small dog rescue Saskatoon as clients and they're, they're well cared for. And so well run rescue. I didn't, uh, I wasn't sure whether that was sort of in some kind of different way affiliated with you. Yeah. We actually used to share the same name. So originally, like I say, she started out there and I started here. They grew quite quickly, um, which I think they are still quite big. I do keep in touch with them. I do transfer dogs to them I would bring them here and then I would fly them out to Saskatoon um it's a good relationship that's great Mm -hmm. so you know originally when I went down to California you know I had no idea I was so naive you know I I, we drove down there we met another girl she had made a couple contacts down in the Bakersfield area and they began to take us around to the shelters now I had a friend a friend of a friend here who was looking for a dog that she had seen online from a specific shelter. So I said I would go pick it up for her. Well, we were horrified when we showed up at this little, what seemed kind of a third world shelter, which blew me away because I think of California as Disneyland. uh, You know, no air conditioning. It was 40 degrees out. Kennel of probably 10 or 15 little dogs and, and, you know, big dogs housed alone. And then, a bunch of like sort of outdoor kennels set up for some of the other big dogs. So I originally went down to get this one dog and just to see what things were like. Well, we came out of that shelter alone with 14 and we ended up. <laughs> home. Only 14. <laughs> I, I said, 
my husband's going to kill me. <laughs> he, didn't. he actually made a bunch of little shelters here when we got home so we could deal with the dogs. But wow. yeah, good for you. It was eye opening and, you know, heart wrenching and met some great people still know them all today. So yeah, it was a very interesting start. Good for you. That's well, there's nothing like uh, diving right in there and learning as you go. It actually, if the dogs are teaching you, you're probably doing something right. Well, and they, they definitely do. I mean, you know, every dog has its own personality and boy, did I have a steep learning curve because I love, <laughs> but I have wow. no training and especially with little dogs. And, um, yeah, so, you know, when you bring 10 or 15 dogs to your home and then you're like, okay, now what? Um, and again, you know, just being new, I had no idea, just even bringing them over the border back then you just drove through the, you know, the general border. Now you have to go through commercial. If you bring pups, uh, eight months or under, you have to have a permit. It's all very different, but mm, you know, yes, right. it is. Yes. Yeah. You and I both even started long before the internet and, all, all of that as well. So rescue has, has changed a lot and it's exploded and, and become quite busy. So that's a good thing. Definitely overall, it's a good thing, but it also has incurred. Curve. <laughs> yeah. And more, more rules and, and restrictions, which, which again can be good. Um, so, so this, I guess you're, you're firsthand seeing the, the difference between big dogs and small dogs. And, and I get both as clients as well. And, I find it interesting that um, people perceive small dogs as as different, and so they tend to approach training them differently. But essentially, their brain is the same. And often, um, you know, I I provide advice based on the reason for the behavior and the behavior and the dog's personality, which which can be technically the same with a three pound dog as a ninety pound dog. I know, and I think people don't realize that. I know for sure, like, um, you know, if I put it back, because I, I was a big dog person, I would never let my 75 pound dog jump all over me. Um, right. You know, my little five pound uh, terrier mix right now, you know, she's, she's up on my shins, you know, pay attention, pay attention. And I don't do anything, you know, and it's like, it's like, no, no, that can be a problem still, you know, that, that seeking attention or, or just, you know, even the barking, running around and barking at things. Well, if your big dog's out there doing that, people would be, uh, what's going on? But for some reason, when the little dogs do it, some people think it's cute or I don't know, it, is, it is different. I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's because you can just pick up a little dog and move it away or, or what. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, their brain turns off like any dog when you pick it up. So, you know, we always want those brains ticking and clicking in. So it's, it's better if they can keep the four paws on the floor and get that lean ticking. For sure. And I, and I do, you know, I, I've seen it happen when I'm at the dog park or, you know, different places where, you know, the person, the first thing they'll do is go to grab that dog. And I'm like, nope, just leave it there. If it's not, you know, being eaten up or that sort of thing, just let it manage because, I see as soon as they pick up the dog, it becomes a whole different ball game. You know, it's, it's a got whole different problem. Yeah. So I guess um, for you, for homing these dogs, some of the challenges might be around the fact that they are small and people's perception or what are, what are some of your challenges? 
Yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of people don't realize like that you can do the same, same type of training that you can with a large dog, you know, some of it too is walking on a leash. So when you're walking your big dog, your dog's right at your side, your hand is almost at their collar. Whereas with a little dog, there's all that space in between you. Right. So just That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Getting control of the dog when you're walking and, and that sort of thing. And also, yeah, I just, I just think it's a, it is a bit of a, a different perception. I think people are more apt to get trained dogs. They just kind of let do their thing. And I'm not, not really sure why that is because I've been into lots of homes where I'm like, ah, that behavior is, how can you handle it? You know, it's just, it's not good for the dog or, or the people. Mm-hmm. Well, the big thing, you know, I've, I've learned as a, as a behaviorist for 30 years, people only call you or people only hire me when something bugs them. <laughs> So people don't hire you to fix something that they don't consider to be a problem. But, uh, but, you know, just getting that brain ticking is always just good for the dog too. For sure. And I think a lot of times too, people wait until it, you know, sort of become like a crisis, you know, maybe the dog, I, I mean, I get a lot of rehoming situations where the dog bites someone and then, you know, you go back to, well, what, you know, when did that start and what happened? And there was a long leading up to it. Right. That's right. Yeah. So how do you, go about homing these dogs? Well, for me, um, it's super important that I know all my dogs. So I'm a little bit different in the sense of some rescues where, you know, they might have, we do have foster homes, but they might have either a large number of foster homes or some sort of facility. Um, I do take the time to get to know these dogs because it's very important for me to find not just a good home, but the best home, uh, a forever home, you know, we hope. and I, so I do take the time to interview people. Um, we have an inquiry process through email. We talk on the phone. Um, you know, at that time, I kind of make a decision. Yeah, I think this is a dog you should meet. Or sometimes I say, you know what? This dog is not for you, but maybe I have another dog. Um, and then, you know, going into the home, meeting the, meeting the family. So many times I've gone in and the people have said, you know, they're very set. I, I want this. I want that. I want the other thing. And I get there, and by the time I'm leaving, you know, we're we're talking about a completely different type of dog. <laughs> and it could be just something like they saw on TV. It could be something their friends are telling they should have. You know, sometimes we have issues with medical stuff. Hypoallergenic seems to be the the flavor of the day, even though people don't really need a hypoallergenic dog, and I don't really even know what that is. Um, yeah. And just, yeah, and they just have a perception, oh, I don't want a chihuahua because I hear their barky or I don't want, you know, this or that. So I just really take the time to go and chat with them. And first of all, you know, see if there are people. Um, Everything is about relationship. So, you know, there are lots of great adopters, but we just don't hit it off. So my dogs I like to keep in touch with. So sometimes we just, you know, agree that maybe you know, we'll help them look for another rescue that might be more of a match. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's so not of- just the dog. It's also how the rescues, because other rescues are run differently. I mean, I deal with so many different ones and I, I think they're all great and they're all different and they have their own way of doing things. Yeah, well, it's like anything, you know, you, you meet people, you know, you meet people, hey, you know what, we just jive. So whereas I've had adopters that I think are awesome, we just didn't connect and for me it's so important like I say I still keep in touch with my dogs that I adopted out in 2010 so 
it's really important. You know, I've had a few that have, you know, sort of disappeared. They're just maybe not as, you know, wanting to keep in touch or whatever. But if I haven't heard from people in a year, I always pop off an email and just see what's going on. And I like it. I mean, that's why I did it. I, I, I rescued these dogs because I care about where they go. They already, you know, kind of got the bum deal on the first time around or maybe second or third. You know, yeah, we you have a personal connection. So important. Hmm. Yeah, that is, uh, that's, that's that interest between rescuing and adopting. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, with respect to that, you know, Sometimes, you know, we call rescue dogs, but they're really not. They don't have a lot of issues. They, they were just born uh, unexpectedly. And, you know, they just got dumped in a shelter or they were out running stray and someone picked them up. You know, they go to the shelter, you know, they, they come here and they acclimatize very quickly. They're amazing dogs. They're my little to-go dogs. And, you know, they can be placed quickly. They, they go to those family homes where they, you know, people are out and about at the soccer games doing their thing, happy to see everybody. You know, there's many of those types of dogs. They're, they're not what I would really consider rescue dogs in the sense of dogs that need rehab. Yeah. And, and not all rescue dogs need rehab at all. I, they're still, uh, they're still dogs in need of a home and, and you feel that that need and that's that's great especially when shelters are overrun because dogs hanging out in a shelter i mean a foster and you know i i think a lot of people think is a lot a lot better for the dog than a shelter situation yeah i think so um you know why not put that dog into a home where it's going to doing things that it would do in its adoptive home you know a shelter you know can be stressful especially for certain dogs um yeah you know i through you know, the shelters down in California and, you know, there's dogs that are just backed up against the wall, you know, with their butt to you and they're not giving you any eye contact. They're just absolutely terrified. Now, yeah. you know, that's, that doesn't look good for people walking through the shelter to adopt. So those dogs really do well, you know. In mm. Yeah. Well, it's good that the shelters are there, but it's good that the shelters realize the need to take advantage of uh, a type of um, organization that you have. For sure. And, I, you know, it's great. I see more of the shelters. Um, you know, we're lucky here in BC. We have no little dogs. If you called your local shelter, I mean, especially right now during COVID, it seems like everybody wants a dog. But even at the, you know, regular times calling our local shelters here, you will be lucky to have a, a little dog be in there. And if it is, it's got a lineup of probably about 20 people waiting to adopt it. Even mm. our big mm. dogs. Wow. You know, so we're lucky, and I mean, that's why I do what I do. You know, unfortunately, we, we get some pushback about taking dogs from, you know, over the border, but I have done my research, and we do not. I'm, I'm actually, you know, working in Manitoba as well, and, you know, I get the very occasional little dog there, um, but we just don't have them. So I'm, I'm happy to bring them up and help those shelters out down there because, yeah, we've got the homes here waiting, and why not? And also, dogs don't recognize or know borders. No, but we need to let some people know that. <laughs> yes, we do, and that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, as long as as long as everybody's helping something, yeah, and uh, you know, doing some good, it's positive. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess I I don't do big dogs because I 
don't have the training in them. And the way I look at it is if my little dogs don't work out, well, guess where they're coming back to my house. I currently have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. (laughs) By the time this interview ends, you may have eight. (laughs) Not being able to bring any more dogs up. It's probably been a good thing for my household, but Mm -hmm. you know, 16 dogs here at one time, just because of, you know, no fosters or, you know, behavior breakdowns and, yeah. So yeah, if, if I can't take my dogs back or, or if I take them back, they're all coming here. So I have to do little dogs, but also, you know, we do have quite a few big dogs and I'm sure in Regina, you know, a lot of the first nations communities, lots of big dogs coming out of there. We, we do yeah. work with a few rescues here that take them. Yeah. Back. There's a lot of reservation rescues. Yeah. It's sort of of that Husky cross type size, yeah. you know, the, the 40 if we could do them but I just if we run into issues I'm not a dog trainer I can't I can't manage two big dogs going at each other compared to my two little ones where I say knock it off and they run to their corners you know yeah yeah and we were talking about that with uh with Chica in the last interview where uh you know the people like yourselves just have this ability and the environment and the dog's perception of the environment that you can you know sort of say no or knock it off and they do it and And then when they go into a new home, you know, a little more structured advice, I guess, or being able to, for the dog to perceive them that way. And that's more where I step in. So it's interesting, the dog's perception of the different areas and especially with having all the different dogs around. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I mean, I I guess it's a little bit like kids, you know, how those certain kids, they can be in, in one home and they're very well behaved. And there's really even maybe not a lot even said, um, there's an expectation or something. And then they go to another home and it's, it's completely different. Like I've, I've had dogs, you know, that, um, even from my own home where I took them to a new home and it was like, Holy cow, that's a different dog in my house. It just didn't work or vice versa where, People are saying, I just can't handle this dog. They come to my, I just took one back actually where this, that happened. And I'm like, I just, I don't get what you're talking about. And then I figured it out. Well, what it was, was it was just all action, no structure, no discipline, no anything. And in my house, it was just, you know, and again, it's not even, it's just, I don't know. I think part of it is they learn off the other dogs as well, but yeah. And it's guidance and direction. And, and if you wait around to have to discipline, sometimes the dogs just flip you the bird. Yeah. Whereas you're probably sort of unknowingly providing constant guidance and direction that makes sense to the dog and they just get it. Right. And I think, I think that is right. And I think, you know, for some people, again, it just comes, comes easier. And, and again, just this is where I love what you do because boy, if we could just tie you into each new adoption that would be great (laughs) (laughs) well I'll see if I can get another 300 hours in my day and we'll get that to work (laughs) um Karen how do you fundraise if you do yeah yes so I was we're just coming up to our first year end of being a nonprofit. so for the first uh eight eight years I just did this as you know personal um And so doing nonprofit is a little bit different. Now you have to send all your stuff off to the government, et cetera. So we're just working with an accountant to do that. And I realized that probably 50% of the money that we take in to help these dogs is through donation. Hmm. So um, there's a few different ways. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a little more structured on that. Um, Originally it was crisis donations. So 
again, in the beginning learning curve, you know, something would happen, I bring up a dog and oh my God, there was like some medical issue, I put the word out. And luckily, we've made a, you know, a really nice following here, my community, my family, my SDRBC family, I put the word out and would get blown away when you know, the whole bill would be paid in, you know, three days. And I'm wow. good for you. That's great. $1,000. Yeah, I mean, it totally blew me away. And I guess what I found was people, a lot of people, they, they don't have the time to volunteer or do things like that, but they have the financial part. That's right. right. Yes. It can work. And so now we do all sorts of little things, fundraisers. Right now we're doing a mask fundraiser. I have a wonderful lady who sews masks and sells them. We do bottle fundraising. We do an online auction once a year for Christmas. Hmm. You know, anything that we can do and uh, donors. Yeah. yeah, you get creative. Yeah, so my goal is we have 14,000 followers on our Facebook page. I would love for each of those 14,000 people to send me a dollar through PayPal or each month. It wouldn't be a lot, but boy, would that help us be able to say yes to so many, you know, medical and senior dogs. Well, that uh, would be yeah. great. That's, that's that's a great a, goal. Yeah, and it's realistic and, for people yes. and and it <clears throat> they really probably don't realize how much that would actually help until they they understand how your rescue works and how many followers you have and then it's a huh you know how many dogs that can help think about that like you know our average expenses currently and sort of it's kind of it's going up you know because like i say we do take on a lot more medical dogs how do you say no right and i know most of the time we can raise the money sometimes it's a little scary you know each month trying to pay the bill but you know we spend probably about eight to $10,000 a month. So again, my goal is, you know, I'm already like you probably Billy, you know, you can work as many hours in the day and you're still not done. So if I could just concentrate on that part and not the financial part, just a dollar, you know, out of, if I could get 8,000 followers. So I didn't have to worry about trying to figure out where that money was going to come from and just do what we do. And to be able to say, yes, like that's, for a dollar, you know, like it just, I know if that was me and I do have a lot of these amazing donors that they do $5 a month, a Starbucks coffee a month. That's what they give us. Huh. And it's huge when you put huge. it all together. That is huge. Yeah. That's a really, really good point because it's, it's, there's so many different aspects to rescuing a dog and some people want to deal more directly with the dogs like yourself and, and other people it's, you know, they don't have that time or the experience or the space. And so, so for me, um, you know, I was just kidding about 300 more hours in a day, but I, I do work a lot with fosters and rescue t- lots of different rescue organizations when their, their tricky point is, is a dog that's hard to home. So that's my skill. I, I will come right out and say financially, you know, I, I don't donate financially, but I donate skill. And so if everybody has something that they can do, it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. And that especially like that's such a huge asset. I'm dealing, like I say, with this dog I brought back right now. And, you know, I have volunteered dog walkers, you know, um, that are coming to take him out and doing those sorts of things. And I mean, if I had to pay for that, I probably couldn't. Right. So for you to go into someone's home and say, hey, I'm going to help you be able to rehome this dog. It's worth like huge, like it's worth more than money. You know what I mean? Because that dog's going to get a home now. So yeah, and then the big thing is then that foster can take in another dog. <laughs> so 
in the shelter can, you know, take another dog. I mean, I'll just go back to that story when I first started. So the first shelter, the day that we got there, again, it was all very overwhelming. There was a wonderful lady there, volunteer that comes in every day, Glenda. She's sadly since passed away. Um, she was literally in tears when I took one of these dogs because she said, you know what? We have a dog waiting to come in the car. And if we didn't have any dogs go today, somebody in here was going to get euthanized. Oh, yeah. Wow. And that's just the reality and that's of it. How- what is your biggest success story oh biggest success story so that would be again one of our bakersfield trips so i have a couple of cohorts that we go down we try and go down one maybe two times a year we actually physically go down so the rest of the time we use um, a transport um you know company basically that brings the dogs up for us to bellingham okay Twice a year we go down because we love to see all our shelter people and, you know, just have a good time and, you know, go see the dogs and do some work with the shelters, etc. So hmm. one time um, we were we were in a private uh, invitation to come to the shelter to see the dogs before it opened. And we were we show up and there's like two or three people in the parking lot and they're waiting, obviously, for the shelter to open so they can relinquish their pets. Hmm. So, uh, hmm. The first group came and gave us their three cats, and my girlfriend said she would take them home to to BC. And then lady, I saw her get out of her car. She had a walker. She put this little pink crate on it. Um, came over and asked if if you know we could help her with these puppies. Well, these puppies were soaking wet, covered in fleas. Um, you know, we chatted with her a little bit. We said, you know, where's mom? She said she couldn't know where the mom was. She couldn't find the mom anyway we ended up saying we would take the puppies and find a place for them. So when we brought them into the shelter, um, they wanted to get her information and she wrote it down and put it on the counter. Well, in the chatting with her, uh, I knew there was a mom. I knew she had the mom. These pups were only about two weeks old. So in our, you know, dealings with her, she left. I happened to take the notes off the counter of where she lived and, uh, wasn't probably supposed to do that but anyway (laughs) my girlfriends and I later we drove to her house anyway it was a very interesting neighborhood we probably shouldn't have been there but I thought what the hell I went in you know naive and just took my business card and knocked on the door she wasn't home but the people said they would give her the card and the phone number well I gave them my friend's phone number who lived there and she called and so pleaded with her that these puppies could not be without their mom. And she, she kept saying, no, I don't, I don't have the mom. I don't know where the mom is. Anyway, that was that, you know, just a nice, you know, chit chat or whatever. And uh, said, you know, well, if things change or you find mom, you know, please let us know. Well, the next morning at the shelter, guess who called? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good this, for you. Yeah, by this time, the puppies had already been sent down to L.A., so we had to intercept, we had to go get, um, go get a volunteer, pay them a hundred dollars. They drove down to LA and she was reunited. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Sometimes you just have a gut feeling. I think with rescue, a lot of it is a, a gut feeling and sometimes you got to break the rules or have fewer rules, lose the rules and, you do know, use right. it. You do. Yeah. Use your gut. Yeah. You just got to keep talking to people because, you know, like, I hate to say it, but in this 
you know, there's lots of, you know, name calling or whatever, you know, people are mad, they, they feel the dogs are, you know, unjustly done by but in I've learned, you know, you just got to keep the conversation open. Yeah. Yeah. The goal is we want to get the dog and help the dog. So it's not about making the people feel like they are going to be chastised or yeah, it's just about getting the dog and, and going from there. So that's, that's really good. Good for you. That's a great success story. Okay, Karen, now we have our tail end question. Can you share with us something inspirational or a life lesson that you learned from dogs or a specific dog? Well, I think I have to go back to just that last story. So I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, just my takeaway is, and it happens every day, um, is it's not about it. I mean, it's about the dogs. We love working with the dogs, but in the end, it's about people. It's about our relationships. It's about, you know, working together. Like I said, you know, the dollar per person, it's like, if I gave you a dollar, it, it couldn't do much. But if, if a hundred of us gave a dollar, look what we could do, right? So it's about the teamwork, the relationships you build. I mean, I can't tell you how many amazing people, and I'm sure you feel the same um, yes. doing your work, you know, like you've met people and they've passed you on to other people. And yeah, it's just such a great feeling. It is. It is. And, and you think mm-hmm. about how many uh, people have helped even one single dog on its journey from hell to home. You know, you've got groomers in there and, and, um, veteran. Yep. Yep. Veterinarians and, and, um, doctors. Yeah. The frontline rescuers, everybody. It's not, uh, even the transport, the, the transport people are super important or people that just even donate a crate. Oh my God. The, the volunteers that will drive five hours to meet another, you know, uh, the airline, guys yeah. that take private planes and fly a dog to you know wherever you know the universities that will take dogs in for free you know just yeah and even the people that just organize all those different legs of the transport so that people are meeting each other because the organization with with rescue is is really big especially you you know are pretty on your own some of the rescue organizations have a board of directors and lots of people which is, is great but um, I don't think people sometimes realize how much time um, people take just interviewing homes or organizing a transport. Absolutely. Just ask my husband. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And he's, in, he's the way he gets to see me sometimes is he needs to do a meet and greet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Then he sees you at your best, right? Yeah. Doing yeah. what you do. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this information with us and um, your, uh, your contacts and your links and, and ones that you mentioned and pictures, if we can get some pictures from you, those will be in show notes and on my website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Billy. And really nice to meet you, David. Thank Thank you, Karen. You as well. Thanks so much, Karen. Take care. The snippet piece is how to be a better trainer or perhaps how to pick the best trainer for you. And I will provide some suggestions on that. Chica from the last episode and Karen and many other dog rescuers have a natural way of working with dogs. Many take in the tough cases, the death row dogs. I did that 
oh, back in 30 years ago, and I took in dogs from the streets or auto wrecking yards or from drug houses, and I was awarded from the Humane Society for my ability to rehabilitate these dogs. And it is a great way to learn about dogs and to help dogs in need. So if you're a trainer or a behaviorist, I suggest doing this because you learn a lot from the dogs. Fosters and rescuers, for this reason, often know a lot about dogs. And as Karen and I discussed, I I help fosters when they have a challenging dog. And I do this now uh, more for community relations and to help out. But initially, the reason I did that was to practice teaching what I know, to practice teaching what I learned from dogs to people. It really elevates you as a trainer or a behaviorist when you work with people who work with dogs, when you're teaching what you know to the people so that they can teach it to their dog. You learn the questions that they ask and how to interpret the info that they provide, how to get that info. You learn where their blocks are, where their challenges are, and you learn how to adapt how you're teaching and what you're teaching, how to troubleshoot, how to prevent problems. Again, how to ask the right questions is so important and how to interpret these answers. If you're a one-on-one behaviorist, you need two-way communication. You can't just do a classroom-style session in a one-on-one session. They are going to talk to you about their dog. And a lot of these people know a lot about their dog and they know a lot about training. So you need to be able to explain to them why what they're doing is working or isn't working or why it's suitable to their dog. And this is really important if you want to be a very successful trainer or behaviorist. Often it would be easier to just take the dog and and train him or her in much of the uh, uh, board and train style. But that is only one part of working with a dog. And even though these people often provide uh, sessions and training when they give the dog back to the owner, it's still not the same as literally teaching a person how to work with their own dog. And this is when you really learn about the methods that you're using and how they can be adapted to individual dogs and how people learn differently. And it's extremely rewarding to help these people with their dog. You really see a bond happen between the dog and the client or the foster. And even if it's with a foster, that can then be carried on to the new home and then the bond is created there. So when you're elevating yourself from just working with dogs and definitely elevating from only using treats and positive reinforcement, you see a bond occur and that's that's really what is magical with with what I do. So if if you are working with dogs, I strongly suggest seeing about working with rescuers and fosters. And this not only will benefit professional trainers and behaviorists, but it obviously also benefits the rescuers and the fosterers. And most importantly, it benefits the dogs. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. If you have any questions, please contact me at billy at upwarddogology.com. For more information on Small Dog Rescue BC, there's links in the show notes and there's pictures on my website, www.upwarddogology.com. For more information on my learning journey, uh, you can, uh, well, it's in my book, which is available on Amazon. The link is in the show notes and it's also ebook as well. And I'm also on 
the podcast, The Entrepreneur Way, episode 1595. And that has a lot of info on my learning journey as well. And Instagram has some of my past, more my current, which is Upward Dogology. And then my Facebook is Doglogic Behavioral Rehabilitation, which has my uh, local clients in Regina. And I'd like to give yet another big uh, shout out of thanks to the Jeff Murdoch Band for providing the music, which is just great. Super, really love it. They're from Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And I hope you enjoy your learning journey.